is the Lightning Junkies podcast with your host, Chaz. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're doing another live podcast session. This time about chain analysis. Those assholes. If you aren't already aware, Chainalysis is a blockchain analysis company known for doing surveillance of the blockchain and giving information to governments and other entities like exchanges, etc. They aren't very popular with Bitcoiners for some reason. This unpopularity exploded recently when Chainalysis came out in support of the Lightning Network. Bitcoiners were obviously not very happy about this and absolutely exploded on them on this Twitter thread, primarily telling them to go fuck themselves. But whoever runs the Chainalysis Twitter account could not take the heat and started hiding the replies for everyone on the thread, even the people that were being friendly and honestly engaging and not telling them to go fuck themselves. I found this to be very dishonest, but it makes a lot of sense for a company like this that's probably had to be very defensive. Let me just state once again, Bitcoiners do not like chain analysis. One of the most popular things you'll hear are ways to stick it to them or otherwise route around them. This episode was recorded on Twitter Spaces on December 17th, 2021. Just a quick reminder that if you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is by listening to us on Breeze, Fountain, or any of the other value-for-value apps you can find at newpodcastapps.com. We actually have three large supporters currently. If you go to lightningjunkies.net forward slash support, you can find those supporters and support them yourselves, which will in turn support us. It's like a circle of life over there. We would highly encourage you to do that or to support us directly by sending Bitcoin or Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. If you want to make sure Cat eats and you want to keep this podcast ad free, support this podcast today. Now on with the countdown. Let's go ahead and get started with this Lightning Friday episode, podcast thing, whatever you want to call this thing. Uh, And we're talking about those fantastic assholes that we all love, Chainalysis. Um, Before we actually get into the uh, show today, I want to go ahead and introduce the co-hosts on Lightning Friday. I am Chaz um, from Lightning Junkies podcast, as you might know. Uh, We have uh, Justifer. He is from amboss.space. How are you doing today, Justifer? Doing very well. How about yourself? 
I'm doing pretty well, you know, all over the place as usual, but, you know, kind of good overall here. Nice. Glad to hear it. Uh, I'm excited about the topic. Uh, Chainalysis uh, Chainalysis has been like, uh, it's been kind of up and coming, kind of this like growing force that, uh, you know, people are uh, afraid afraid of um but uh i i think uh this technology is is still developing and it's it's moving it's moving quickly so my big question is uh will anyone be able to keep up with uh with us and our development well you know before we jump into all that i also want to make sure that everyone knows that the our third co-host is evan Kaludis, the dude over from zeus wallet making that magic happen over there um but yeah absolutely so um kind of just to give everyone that might be listening to this now or later some background. So earlier this week, uh, Chainalysis um, came out in support of the Lightning Network. And, you know, on Twitter, you know, a lot of people were very upset about that and basically went on to that uh, Twitter thread to tell them to go fuck themselves primarily. Um, There was some other, uh, you know, less uh, toxic content saying, you know, you know, asking some real questions, whatever, but uh, Chainalysis just didn't want to mess with the Bitcoiners what at all, you know, the toxic ones and non-toxic ones. So basically hid all of the replies from that thread. So, you know, they wouldn't have to broach this kind of more difficult topic um, with, you know, anyone on Twitter. They just said, here's the information. We're not going to deal with it. Bye. Um, And so, you know, they kind of announced their support, quote unquote, of Lightning. And so, from my opinion, I, I think it's mostly bullshit at this stage, especially that it's mainly like a PR move on their part and they're trying to capitalize on that PR move, maybe for some IRS contract or some other kind of governmental um, setup situation. Um, but it overall, if I were to really guess, like in the field, foot on the ground, tracking of the transactions, I think they're probably useless at this point. What do you think? So actually, maybe that's a good place to start. Um, like, who are the customers of Chainalysis? Who is interested in the information on Bitcoin or or the Lightning Network? Um, like, who are right. the who are the people that would be would be funding these these operations? So yeah, like I think that's a, a pretty good question to ask. And I actually have worked at exchanges for years now. So I feel like maybe I have some good experience in that area. So, um, you know, without naming names, uh, I've, I've dealt with the compliance side of exchanges for a while. 
I absolutely hate dealing with them uh, simply because they have their own, their, their own MO, you know? They're not about financial freedom. They're about protecting the, the business from legal ramifications and things like that, right? So a very um, naive compliance team or, you know, whoever might be like an executive on that side is most likely to be very naive and they're going to have a list of, of um, things they have to do according to the regulator. Um, and one of those scenes, uh, one of those things is chain analysis is trying to get as much information about what your customers are doing as possible. Because if you have a scammer or someone that's stealing identity or, you know, sending Bitcoin straight to a uh, dark, uh, dark net market, then uh, that business, whatever the business might be, is liable. Um, so that's a very good reason why an exchange and other similar business where they actually hold customer funds are basically required to do stuff like this. Um, I actually worked at an exchange previously who tried their best to like not take on chain analysis, but uh, eventually they took it on. I don't know the exact reasons and exactly who kind of applied pressure there, but you know, this was an exchange who um, fights back regularly against governmental oversight um, and tries their best to not let, you know, things, you know, keep pushing in that direction. And even they had to fold and add chain analysis. Now, most of the time, like that I'm seeing chain analysis used, it is used in that way of using it for, you know, are they sending to a dark net market? Are they sending to a um, Bitcoin address that's been marked under uh, OFAC? Um, you know, things like that. So generally speaking, this doesn't really affect 99.99% of people. But I think the reason why we as Bitcoiners care so much is the potential for that to be used by, you know, not exchanges um, and other, you know, governmental uh, power structures. So it may not matter quite so much in the United States. Obviously, we do care here. But I think the the far scarier thing might be in places where the oppressive governmental regimes aren't so nice, aren't so uh, restricted from their kind of activity. It's all out in the open and they'll do whatever the fuck they want. Um, but, you know, long story short, um, exchanges uh, are the primary customer of chain analysis at this point to answer your question. Well, that, that makes sense. Uh, so, so there's like the government regulation that says uh, like you, you have to be able to know your customers and also be able to uh, stop anti-money laundering and the, the ways that you go about the anti-money laundering uh, from this, from this regulation is to say, uh, we need to make sure that you aren't paying, uh, that you're not, uh, doing a whole bunch of mixing of funds using these, uh, more privacy preserving technologies. And also it's not, uh, going to, 
like terrorist organizations, which is uh, from the the OFAC list, is is my understanding. So the the Office of Foreign Assets Control. Um, so like basically, you can't uh, you're not going to be sending money to Iran or anyone on a sanction list. So so we don't want you sending money to to those places. And so uh, because they can't directly control like where you're sending the money or or stop you uh, since we're we're using this uh, very censorship resistant currency what they do is like lock your account or that type of thing or force these exchanges to to take those activities on and and of course that like I think that would be useful information on who these people are from like a tax perspective. So they want the IRS to be able to, to say, oh, you've got this amount of Bitcoin and uh, this is a taxable event and you better pay your taxes. So, right. yeah. Uh, with this, um, now like we've got, we've got Bitcoin, which like each coin has a history. So you can you can uh, look on a, a block explorer and see, you know, what sort of uh, history each of these coins has. Uh, but uh, do you have a good sense of like how they determine, you know, what's a what's a good activity and what's a nefarious activity? So from my experience working at exchanges. Um, my sense is that chain analysis is kind of a pile of garbage in in real life. Um, that it tends, like I tend to see a lot of false positives from it, um, from you know someone that's withdrawing to their own wallet um, and getting flagged for gambling or stuff like that. I actually see gambling come up more than anything else as the flag. Um, so, um, I think what they basically do is something called clustering. Um, this is probably more of the kind of old style that they used to do. They might've gotten better and have more technology, but I'm not entirely convinced of that. But clustering basically where, um, if your UTXO touches this other UTXO, they have some kind of algorithm or some kind of, uh, you know, they make their determination with what with, with whatever math they have on their side, um, and say we have a you know eighty six percent probability that this is you know going to a dark net market or going to a gambling uh, you know exchange or whatever. Um, and so, I think in in real terms, like on exchanges, I don't think chain analysis really comes into play. Um, maybe it maybe it happens at, at the kind of higher volume exchanges. Maybe Binance, maybe not Binance, but maybe Coinbase is what I meant um, is doing more of this. Um, as as most people know, Coinbase previously bought a uh, a chain analysis company that was that had connections to kind of uh, less reputable hacking uh, software, um, so they're not very well liked over there. But it's it's my general understanding that their tools aren't that robust, um, that they're kind of very basic, um, and 
Yeah, that's kind of my general understanding that it's it's very basic. You kind of have to kind of know what what you're what what you're already looking for. So you need to know that you know you're marking these sets of UTXOs as you know Coinbase, for example. So they have like a Coinbase cluster. They might have a Binance cluster. Um, so they know when you're sending to one exchange or the other. They know when you're probably sending to your own wallet. Um, you know, Samurai Wallet is a, a piece of software that has helped to kind of break their uh, their basic heuristics, um, which they've uh, the the team from Samurai has made it clear for years at this point that their shit is so basic, you just gotta just change around some of your basic transaction modalities or transaction like just the way that you transact so the amount of inputs and outputs if you change those around and you had you know more outputs maybe more inputs um you'll do what is called a stonewall transaction from samurai um so Again, I think their heuristics are so basic. Most of their business is standing on top of that, of the ignorance of that fact. You know, compliance teams are, are basically required to have this kind of blockchain analysis. So they hired these guys not knowing that they're basically useless in real world terms. So, like, I mean, what what they're being asked to do is is basically be able to trace these funds as they and identify what's a spend and what's what's a change output, uh, and and where where these funds are going and what and try and determine by clustering what types of activities like this is uh, the, these funds are engaged in. So. So if it's uh, a whole bunch of, uh, you, you said it, maybe this is the Binance cluster. So w what do you think these chain analysis companies use? Is it, do they have like an XPUB to like a public key to all of these uh, exchange addresses or, or what's, what's happening here? Are, are they just looking at, you know, are these groups of funds spent at the same time or are there certain patterns? Um, I think that there are certain patterns and uh, they might even resort to doing uh, dust uh, dust attacks, excuse me. Um, so that th things like that could help them to kind of track where certain flows of money are headed. So obviously an exchange like Binance um, keeps, you know, a hot wallet uh, for Bitcoin. Um, and so, you know, just to kind of point out here that they also do chain analysis on other chains and Ethereum, for example, is a much easier chain to do that chain analysis on because it's an account-based system instead of Bitcoin being a UTXO based. Um, so it's a little bit harder on Bitcoin since you kind of have to cluster them. You have to figure out a way to have a confident, like have an amount of confidence that UTXO A and UTXO B are connected in some way, either by kind of going back through their histories and finding like a common as association um, or you know, associations of other UTXOs that, you know, 
you know, if if the uh, the uh, UTXO that we have at the, at the like the most recent one has a connection, you know, way back when that doesn't connect with Binance, but it may connect with another customer that has a connection with Binance. Let's say, um, so they they. Kind of the cluster, I think. I don't know this specifically. I'm just kind of looking at my job and kind of working backwards. But it seems like they they cluster by those sorts of things, by dust attacks, by kind of maybe even sending money themselves and seeing if they can figure out what set of UTXOs is the Binance wallet, basically, or the Coinbase wallet, um, and go from there. Like, I'm... Uh, there was this tool that I used years ago. I cannot remember it for the life of me, but it was basically chain analysis, but anyone could use it. Um, you, you basically went on there and they had a bunch of like UTXOs uh, labeled automatically. So you could go back and look at uh, um, when Tim Draper bought all the Bitcoin from uh, Silk Road, you know, it has that uh, transaction labeled. It has all the UTXOs labeled. So you can see where he sent it to his multi-sig in 2015, I think. So, it could be stuff as simple as that, you know, just labeling the things that you know, and then doing things like dust attacks and other techniques to kind of get more granular information. So it sounds like they're maintaining this big database of, okay, the funds went from here and then they went to here. And I'm, I think this, this cluster is like this type of behavior and, and this one is gambling and so on. And just maintaining a database and kind of tracing these things with, with probabilities. So, uh, so what do, uh, like generally, what do people do to like fight against, uh, chain analysis? Um, because like maybe, maybe I'll just frame it this way that, you know, Bitcoin, since each UTXO has a history, uh, the concern is that um, these coins are not fungible because so so that would be a big problem from like a, a money uh, perspective. Like maybe I am willing to pay more for clean coins than I am for ones with a checkered history or or ones that have uh, and been been used at all. Right. So I think the answer is pretty much uh, what I had already mentioned with Samurai. It's to kind of do different things to kind of throw off their very basic heuristics. Um, because, yeah, like I was saying earlier, they, their heuristics are very basic. It's label this, cluster all these UTXOs that touched each other that. Um, so it seems to me that there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, one could be to buy non-KYC Bitcoin and to make sure to kind of transact in a very aware way. So, you know, using BISC or, you know, mining from home are two easy uh, ways to do that. Or, you know, like you just mentioned, some some Bitcoin are more fungible than others. So, or 
yeah, more fungible than others. So you might go buy Bitcoin directly from a miner. So it has no history. So then you can kind of make sure to do your due diligence to make sure it doesn't get a history or if it does, you know, to take, you know, the the, the right steps to make sure that you're not, uh, uh, what's that word? Uh, you have toxic change or you might have, you know, otherwise have uh, not not the best Bitcoin possible, as it were, kind of less than ideal there. Right. And so uh, so what I've seen come out is, so there's Samurai's Whirlpool, and then they also have that, uh, they've got Stonewall transactions. They also have Ricochet transactions. Um, and then on the, maybe the Wasabi side, kind of a general collaborative spend is maybe what I would call it. Uh, do you, uh, you want to talk about any of those other ones? Uh, maybe we can start with, uh, with Ricochet. So, so like when I'm looking at the, at the blockchain and I'm watching these UTXOs move around, like how, uh, how many transactions back am I, am I looking at the history and figuring out, okay, where's this, where's this nefarious activity? Right. So I think to kind of address that last point here first, um, like like back in the day, people used to say, you know, Coinbase doesn't look more than X amount of hops um, away. So make sure to, you know, send a wallet, then send to a wallet, then send to a wallet, then send to your actual destination or something like that. Um, but yeah, Ricochet basically does something very similar automatically. Um, so you don't need to do kind of extra work. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. I was just uh, agreeing with you. So I guess, uh, yeah, my understanding of Ricochet is it is kind of going to extend the path where uh, a Chainalysis company would have to kind of examine the history. Because if you're only looking one transaction back, uh, you're going to find some information, but 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 then it becomes exponentially harder because like all of these different traces and these paths that could have been taken, uh, I imagine that gets a whole lot more confusing as you look further uh, into the history. Absolutely. I think something to point out here is, I mean, something that we've all already pointed out, but just to repeat it here, like Chainalysis and some similar companies use, you know, probabilities like so when you can begin to introduce a reduction in their ability to be, you know, sure that their probabilities are leading them in the right direction, it, it seems like. I'm not an, a complete expert here, but it seems like once you throw a spanner into the works, it's only going to be harder for them and it's only going to get harder from there. So if if you're, you know, let's say you start your entire uh, Bitcoin journey in the, uh, the best practice uh, path here. So maybe you start with Samurai, you set up your dojo, you set up Whirlpool, you know, you, you get up on Join Market, uh, you know, whatever else, you know, there's a bunch we could list here right now that do swaps and um, coin joins like things, etc. But I think it's anything that throws off their basic analysis. 
Um, their analysis is so basic that if you can drop an 80% probability to a 40% probability, then, you know, you've made it that much more useless that, you know, if you work in an, at, at an exchange and you're given a 40% probability that your customer is doing, you know, something that they shouldn't be, are you going to believe that they're doing that thing? Or are you going to be like, eh, that sounds like a false positive maybe. Um, so I think that's the, the real thing that Samurai and similar tools are doing. It's this like plausible d deniability that, you know, these tools kind of suck. So, you know, any little edge might be able to kind of uh, prevent them from being useful. That makes sense. Uh, when I was, uh, I went to a, a hacker type meetup uh, there were like, you know, blue hats and, and red hats there, uh, or like blue team, red team is what they were calling it. Um, and it, it sounded like some of the, the red team, the, the ones that were taking the like attacking side, uh, to, to build up these uh, security systems, you know, they try really low level attacks. Like, uh, are the, are the passwords, password one, two, three, or, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, and they would probably start with that, but you know, if your password was sufficiently long, like they just give up after a period of time. Um, or I could tell like, oh, okay. Like their, uh, their, um, Wi-Fi is you know, still says net gear on it. Um, whereas like one that is like customized, you know, it, it tells you, okay, this person has some, some knowledge and I can see, oh, they're using a VPN. So maybe this person isn't even worth my time, uh, just in order to in, investigate someone's history. So, so similarly, Maybe if we're just incorporating some of these privacy tools or privacy preserving tools that uh, we might become, we might blend into the, into the crowd a little bit more for, for say, for example, using Ricochet and uh, it just becomes a little bit more confusing. They would really have to justify ex the expense of investigating the, the history of our transactions. Right. So from a exchange perspective, that's a huge one because, you know, looking at every single account that might transact on Coinbase is absolutely not a scalable activity. You know, that's millions of accounts. So you, you can't, it would be impossible. You would have to hire thousands and thousands of people. And even then you're going to make mistakes and miss stuff. Um, so yeah, like anything that you can do to kind of make it, to make yourself not be the low hanging fruit pretty much makes you so you're invisible to chain analysis um, because they're, you're, you're a needle in, in, in a haystack at that point. Yeah, and ideally a, a needle in 10,000 haystacks. Uh, do you right. want to talk about... Um, pivot this conversation into what it looks like on, on lightning. Um, and we can talk about the, the privacy status and, and what, what transactions look like on, on lightning versus on chain. 
Absolutely. So I think the most basic thing to point out here is there is no blockchain for them to analyze exactly here. So in this case, there's still, and they even said it in their in their article, they're still just looking at the Bitcoin blockchain and analyzing that. Um, they they probably aren't going to get much information from the from the Lightning Network side, at least in the short term. As far as I know, it, anyone out there that wants to correct me on that, please feel free. And also, as I'm saying that, anyone that wants to join uh, uh, to join us up here and ask a question or make a comment, please feel free. This also um, is true of those um, on YouTube as well. Um, but yeah, so Lightning. Um, I'm probably not an absolute expert on privacy on Lightning. I know privacy on Lightning in general is kind of questionable thanks to Anthony Ronning writing that one blog post, kind of laying things out there. Um, if anyone listening hasn't uh, read that yet, um, I'm pretty sure you can Google Anthony Ronning uh, Lightning Network Privacy and find it. Um, but yeah, um, go ahead. That was a fantastic article uh, by Anthony Running, and it, it was it was on the, the state of privacy on the Lightning Network. Um, maybe it'd be good to talk about like what uh, what what you can determine from a, a Lightning transaction. So right. so like when it when it starts, like there's an on chain activity. So you're going to be spending some UTXOs in order to open a channel. And so those UTXOs have a history. And then in the future, um, there's going to be sort of the payout transaction when you're closing a channel. And so that means that uh, you'd be receiving a payment provided you still have some balance left in the channel. And then your, your channel peer would be receiving some amount. So you'd be seeing kind of the beginning balance of, of this uh, two of two multi-sig in this, that is a, a channel open, and then you would see a payout in the, in the future. Um, and so in between those two events, there could be thousands of transactions, uh, millions of transactions. There's essentially no, no limit to it. Uh, but, but what is clear at the, what you know, a, a good ob observer of the blockchain might be able to determine, okay, they started with this amount and then they ended with this amount. Um, so, you know, with that, like it's, it's not quite clear what happened, but when you're looking at the, the lightning network and the gossip, which we, which uh, we, we can explore on, on AMBOSS, my, my Lightning Network Explorer, or our our Lightning Network Explorer, um, is that you can you can see from the Lightning Network gossip who you're opening a channel with. So, like each of those uh, each of those nodes have have somewhat of an identity. You'd be able to see okay, there's an association here between this node and this node. However, the transactions in between those two nodes are not shared with the rest of the network as opposed to the Bitcoin blockchain where every single transaction on on the Bitcoin blockchain is announced to all of the all of the nodes on the blockchain whereas uh, in the in the lightning network 
in a, a channel, uh, those individual transactions are only known by those two parties that are involved in the channel, and those aren't broadcast to the rest of the network. So, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think the implications are for like the fungibility or, um, or how does that kind of frame things for privacy of the Lightning Network? So where my mind went kind of talking about that, um, it made me think of the uh, Tor network. So I'm sure everyone here hopefully knows what Tor is. Uh, if not, it's the onion relay, basically a way to kind of gain data privacy by, you know, sending your data through multiple hops, you know, very similar to lightning in a certain respect um, because lightning uses onion messages. Um, but um, something that I would point out is on, on Tor, um, Tor is considered largely pwned at the moment uh, because uh, people think that there are nation states opening a stupid amount of uh, relays, nodes, exit nodes. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to stiff, uh, sniff the entire network. Now, I think, you know, again, I'm not an expert, just a podcast person, but it's my understanding that something similar could work with the Lightning Network. Um, that if, you know, nation states or whoever wanted to spend the time to open enough nodes, to have enough liquidity on the network, you know, we have, you know, whatever nation state buying hundreds of Bitcoin to you know, open up a bunch of nodes and, you know, actually provide liquidity on the network. I think that is probably more of something that I'm quote unquote scared of or nervous about than anything that Chainalysis is really doing. I think Chainalysis is kind of a joke at the end of the day. Um, but if Chainalysis took the time to actually do that, opening a bunch of nodes, you know, putting a bunch of money on the network, you know, basically becoming Ellen Big, you know, Ellen Big might be this too, honestly. You know, people have been saying this since ever since he threw money onto the network that he might be a spook and just trying to uh, sniff everyone's traffic because wouldn't that be the, the best way to kind of get over that hump is if you're basically half the network or even more maybe, I don't know the exact percentage of the network you need to be to make this work, but between like traffic analysis that they do on tour and things like that. I wonder if they really took that move, if we would be really screwed at that point and what, what defenses we would really have if they're able to just watch the transactions on the lightning network itself. So that's a pretty interesting question because, uh, I almost think about it in the terms of like you have to 51% attack the, the lightning network. Uh, like what would that, what would that look like? So basically you would, you would have to be laying out the infrastructure for all of these payment rails and you would have to have bi-directional liquidity. Um, so say you've got a ton of Bitcoin, like right now there's 3,455 Bitcoin on the on the public lightning network and there are 17,000 nodes so you're going to have to come up with a whole bunch of funds uh and connect them to 
as many nodes as you possibly can and and figure out how to allocate those Bitcoin so that you can both receive and send payments uh, and, and be able to, from that, you would be able to observe, okay, a payment is originating from here and it's going someplace else. But it, you can't guarantee that uh, a payment is actually going to use your channel un unless uh, maybe you could be the cheapest route. Um, but, but then uh, you're going to have to compete with all of the other nodes that are on the network that may also want to provide cheap routes. And they're going to be fighting for this traffic. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting way to, to kind of uh, play it out. Because if, if you want to be the spy of the network, you're going to have to outcompete everyone else on the network and be cheaper than them and more reliable than uh, the, the thousands of plebs that are uh, firing up umbrals. And uh, from, from what I've noticed so far, like from running a Raspberry Pi, like I was like 11th on the entire Lightning Network running a Raspberry Pi uh, as far as like most reliable nodes, which is absolutely crazy to me that a hobbyist can compete at that, at that level. But you have to wonder like if, if the, the chain analysis companies are, are wanting to watch the lightning network, they would have to outcompete me that doesn't really care about uh, making a ton of money off of my routing node. Uh, I, I'm just enjoying connecting to fellow plebs and, and watching the transactions kind of go through, but you know, not gathering a history on it. Yeah, I, I I struggle to think that their public face, you know, they're going to announce the, this is how we're going to surveil the Lightning Network. Just write it down, everyone. Get ready for it. Like, I, that's definitely not within their uh, interest to broadcast exactly what they're doing. Um, them putting down, like, Chainalysis on their uh on their little uh, article about it, you know, is an easy way to kind of talk about it and be like, yeah, we're, we're added that. There's obviously things we can analyze about the Lightning Network. And just as a reminder, you know, the IRS is trying to put money down to surveil the Lightning Network. But from what I remember, it was only like $100,000 now, let's take on this idea that I had that we're going to kind of surveil the network, you know, kind of uh, traffic analysis or something. Um, do you think $100,000 is going to be enough to pull that off? Uh, in that 51% uh, in that attack, that's about two, $200 million that they would need to put down uh, just to compete from, from, from my thinking. So that would be opening channels to every node on the network at a size that uh, would contain payments that you're concerned about. So these wouldn't be the coffee payments, but they was, would be like, uh, I, I don't know, payments used for, I don't know, nefarious activities. Uh, so I guess if you're asking the IRS, it's like the price of a couch, the $600 level. Um, so that would be, uh, I, I don't really see 
$100,000 being able to adequately surveil the Lightning Network in any meaningful capacity. Yeah, and I definitely don't think $100,000 is going to produce you a software that's going to, you know, do something similar. You know, you could, there's better ways to spend $100,000 in that respect, it seems like. Um, so, you know, just for a quick reminder for the audience, you know, if you have a question, a comment, don't be afraid to request speaker privileges or ask your question on YouTube, etc. Um, but... So, so it seems like, you know, these, these spooks, the IRS chain analysis, you know, they, they want on lightning, you know, they, they see the future of lightning. They see the the writing on the wall. Um, so if they're, if, if their basic chain analysis isn't going to do anything and they may or may not be willing to spend, you know, millions upon millions of dollars just to give themselves a, um, a decent place to do their their traffic analysis. I'm honestly unsure if they're going to be able to get any meaningful information from the Lightning Network itself. Is it going to be a tool that they're going to use to to kind of de-anonymize de Bitcoin transactions or otherwise make them easier to track? Because I'm sure you know, mo like uh, some people might use uh, Lightning Network transactions as a kind of ad hoc uh, coin join or coin swap or whatever. You, you can't be really sure who, own, who owns that UTXO anymore, right? Um, so I'm not sure if that's like a slam dunk uh, uh, thing to do, but um, maybe it's just as simple as that. They just want to reduce the effectiveness of such a tool and they want to try to spend the money to do it. I honestly don't know. That's a, that's a good Good question. Um, and what what came out of uh, Anthony Ronning's article were uh, a couple of things in in my mind, which was which is mainly uh, don't use your own UTXOs uh, when starting a node. So by by doing that, uh, you can kind of uh, break the link between your identity that you might have acquired by going through some KYC exchange and like your actual node. So, so you can maintain a somewhat different identity as a node than, than your real life, uh, real life personhood. Uh, and so in order to do that, you could start a node um, and instead of opening channels or you know, putting your, your own money into the node at first, uh, what you can do is just buy channels on from Ellen Big or one of these other uh, one of these other groups that actually sell channels, and be able to sort of fill up your node with value uh, through the Lightning Network instead. Um, so that would be a channel opened by another entity connecting to your node. Uh, so it wouldn't really be clear who was operating this this node since all of the UTXOs came from elsewhere to open the channel. So, so that would be another strategy. Uh, take it away. 
Sorry, but um, I was just kind of wanting to kind of bring it back all together here. So we were previously talking about exchanges and what exchanges might do in the course of their business, you know, uh, relating to Chainalysis here. So let's think about, let's say Strike of all businesses adds Chainalysis for Lightning. I don't think they're really going to do that anytime soon, but, you know, let's say they do just for the uh, easy example here. So... What in in what in what context are they going to be using chain analysis most likely? So let's think about there being just for the sake of the example here, Lightning Spin is a pretty well-known gambling website that uses Lightning. Is it going to be marked down as a gambling website? Probably, probably not. But let's just say for the for, for, for this example that it is. So. It, Let's say you send, you know, 100 bucks to Lightning Spin directly with your Strike wallet. Um, in this case, Chainalysis might send them alert saying this this node, um, this node key has been marked as a gambling a gambling establishment. So in that sense, it would be easier for them to be able to do kind of analysis of different node keys because the node keys don't really change. Um, so like if, if I have a node for lightning junkies, you know, unless I'm, you know, literally shutting down the wallet and creating a new one every so often, you know, involving closing channels, reopening them, resetting my reputation, all of that. Um, I don't know how I prevent that pub key from from being static, basically. Um, there's ways to kind of use Tor and and such, but I, I think even that Tor, I mean, even your node key still stays static, and I think your Tor, your your Onion address, your, your, your hidden service, I think that might stay the same, that might change, but your node key still stays the same. So it doesn't really matter if your, your Tor address changes. Um, so what do you think about that? Um, isn't that kind of much more of the, the, the privacy loss here? You know, Strike already knows where you're sending your Bitcoin or your Lightning transaction. In this case, not really talking about on-chain, but um, do you think that's much more of the privacy hole here that unless you're doing multiple hops for your lightning node, you know, maybe sending it to your, my wallet of Satoshi wallet and then my node or what have you. No, that's a, uh, that's a good point because uh, when you're sending a lightning, a lightning payment, what you do know is the node public key that is the destination. So from that information, if you were trying to pay directly to a gambling site, uh, Strike could say, ah, this this node public key is associated with gambling. I don't want to process this payment um, and maybe flag the account. So uh, as an alternative, what you could do is you could run your own node um, and pay directly to your own node. Or as you suggested, which might even be a better alternative, pay to some custodial wallet like a uh, blue wallet or wallet of Satoshi and and then make a payment to uh, you know your your preferred gambling site or um, or your own node. 
So those would all be intermediate steps which might uh, upset the ability for a, an exchange to say, hey, this destination is is a problem, the one that you're paying to or planning a to pay to. So it seems like it's, again, the low-hanging fruit are the ones that Chainalysis and these other you know, companies are, are, are going to find the people that don't know that they're doing this and are just naive about what they're doing with Bitcoin. Yeah, that sounds that sounds accurate. Accurate. And so I brought up Rob. Do you have a question or comment you'd like to make, Rob? Yeah, I do. Thanks, guys. First of all, you know, fantastic conversation. I love that you're talking about this, and uh, and and great thoughts. And actually, some some of the things that you were saying just a minute ago kind of like spurred an idea for me that I wanted to uh, maybe get your opinions on, get your thoughts on, and that is. You know, there could be organizations like the IRS, uh, like Chainalysis, like state actors that are wanting to, you know, open nodes and 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 uh, participate in these channels so that they can, uh, be, you know, do some kind of monitoring activity. And while the cost to actually acquire Bitcoin and and do this might be extremely capital intensive and prohibitive. It's possible that because of all these custodial services, like, you know, I don't know, Celsius and BlockFi and, and others, that maybe rather than like actually acquire the coins, they could just borrow them and, and pay just small carry costs. And as a result of that, in the typical way that governments do, kind of leverage debt uh, as a as a way of um, uh, getting a very large amount of assets with a very small amount of carry cost, just paying the interest on those coins, and then uh, attempt to get a bigger footprint into a network like this, which I guess is, you know, just one more of a thousand reasons why, like, you know, uh, holding your own keys as opposed to using this custodians is so important for the uh, for the aggregate uh, privacy and effectiveness of the network. But anyways, thanks for your comments. And, and I wonder if maybe I could hear your thoughts on, on whether something like that, you know, whether you think that might be uh, an effective approach for them as well. So that's actually a, uh, a really good idea, except I would I would question it on the basis of if they're going to do this, they're probably going to do it for a long period of time. Could they borrow like tens of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin for years? Probably, I guess. Um, and so my naive sense here is, okay, they have millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin now. Are they just going to just go and open like a hundred channels or a thousand channels very naively? I would, maybe I'm giving them too much credit right now. So let's put that out there. But um, like, would they slowly integrate themselves into the network? Again, like I'm bringing up Ellen Big, nothing against Ellen Big, but he's just one very easy to pick on. So like, could he be a spook? Because he was very, you know, he kind of put his money onto the network. He's trying to get more people to have, you know, to have him open channels to them. You know, to me, that's, that's who I would want to be if, if if I was the IRS. If I was trying to be strategic, um, I would be Ellen Big. I would be a, a nice guy. I'd be a friendly guy. I'd be a helpful guy, and try to kind of 
put that money into the network over a long period of time and try to kind of treat my thing like a business. So people are more likely to connect with me and see me as innocuous or even positive. So like, let's take uh, that on as a possibility for a moment. Like uh, you were giving, uh, you know, Ellen Big as advice earlier, um, you know, wouldn't that be the most perfect way to fuck people than, you know, appear to be a, a friendly actor and in the end are actually just doing traffic analysis on everybody? Interesting. So, uh, like, I, I could see someone borrowing uh, a whole bunch of money and buying Bitcoin with it and you know, in the process, speculatively attacking the dollar uh, in order to do uh, some lightning chain analysis. But in doing so, they would have to uh, take on a whole bunch of fees in order to open all of these channels. And then they would have to underprice everyone else on the network, which uh, just looking at the, the pricing of channels on, on the lightning network, uh, one thing that I've uh, I've noticed is that uh, the the people that are running routing nodes today or running lightning nodes uh, aren't pricing their channels to be profitable to pay for both the open the open and the closed transaction. So even if all of the liquidity moves from one side to the other side of a channel, they won't recover the the three hundred sats or however much they paid for the channel open and the channel close. So if, if, a, if a state actor or someone wanting to do surveillance uh, wants to be able to get all the information on the transactions that are going from point A to point B, uh, they would have to underprice a network that is already not priced for profit. So this is a, this is a money losing activity uh, so uh, I'm I'm not super bullish on the the idea that that someone would would be able to do this uh, in a sustainable way. But as a as a side effect of of them attempting to do this, uh, they would create a fantastic payment network, uh, which would seriously uh, undercut a Visa and uh, other payment methods or or remittances. I went ahead and I added opt out to the stage. Do you want to ask a question or comment on what we're talking about? That was a great question, Rob. Really appreciate it. So I guess I'm not hearing from opt out for whatever reason. Um, so kind of continuing that same conversation there. So. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I, I guess it depends on how, how much they want this information. Is it worth like spending all this money and losing money like ongoing just to, to perhaps recover some, some tax loss, some people that are maybe engaging in tax aversion or whatever? Um, I, I guess it, it would really need to depend on how much money they think they're losing. Or if it's not the IRS, I guess it could, could be just someone wanting to, you know, restrict freedoms or otherwise surveil just to surveil. Not sure. 
Yeah, it would it would be very very difficult because you're you would have to like be the the preferential route and you know right now there's over seventeen thousand nodes on the network so like the payments could could fly anywhere between those those nodes um, if there's if they have a direct channel then there's really no reason to use uh, some intermediary service some intermediary hop that's just it's just watching this thing. Um, and, and right now the, the connections in the, on the lighting network go all sorts of different directions. So, you know, what's the likelihood that, that, uh, you know, one, one node is going to be the intermediate hop. I mean, Ellen big is actually not that great for routing. Um, even though they have a ton of liquidity deployed, uh, when I'm looking at my routes that I'm taking, um, it's it's actually pretty infrequent that uh, my my node uses an Ellen Big node, even though like I, I don't have a direct channel with them, um, and kind of generally avoid them. You're avoiding them because you know they're a spook. I knew it. <laughs> I, I do enjoy my Ellen Big mug, which they were handing out at El Salvador. So I'm uh, I'm clearly biased in this. That's fair, but yeah, so you're making some good points, though, about Ellen Big not being that popular overall. Um, maybe popular for kind of newbies getting started because it is so easy and cheap, relatively speaking, to have him open up a uh, channel to you. Um, he's just an easy person to uh, to question and to kind of hypothetically lay, lay blame on, or you know what I mean, as a... Uh, a model for what these analysis or IRS or nation states or et cetera, et cetera, might want to do. Because I, I have a hard time imagining nation states bothering with a full frontal attack. They're, they're going to do something that destroys things in a very friendly, happy way. Um, but on the back end, they're like burning things to the ground, if that makes sense. Interesting. Uh, one of the other ones that I might uh, flag for that was probably Bcash is trash. Um, that's a, a huge node and is actually quite a good routing node. Uh, and I, I might look at that one as uh, one that might just blend into the crowd that people wouldn't maybe notice uh, could be a potential uh, surveillance node. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, good to keep keep an eye out for i mean as as uh as from running a, a lightning network explorer um you can kind of see these capacity changes um so if someone were to deploy a whole bunch of liquidity today on the lightning network in order to find out uh, about payments moving through I, I think people would notice for the most part but at the stage we're at um like uh, Preston Pish can tweet out uh, his his link to his node, and he can become the fastest growing node on the network. So, uh, and, and I, you know, I, I don't think Preston Pish is uh, really a surveillance type guy. Uh, maybe he is. Who who knows? But uh, I I kind of doubt it. Uh, but but we're able to to kind of watch these these nodes get get really popular 
have a, a large capacity increase. Um, you know, for, for Preston Pish, a whole bunch of people are connecting to him. So he's getting a whole bunch of inbound capacity. And I'm not sure how much uh, funds he's actually deploying himself, which that would, that would be what, what would be needed in order to be sort of that in-between hop. You need to have both local capacity and remote capacity. So you need the network to connect to you just as much as you need to connect to the network. So what it sounds like this amboss.space thing is just another chain analysis. We're going to have to kick your ass, Christopher. <laughs> it's all part of the plan. I uh, damn spook. But but in all seriousness though, like you guys take in a a good amount of information. So aren't you guys almost a kind of de facto not chain analysis cuz you're not really looking at the blockchain exactly, but you're kind of taking in all this information and you know examining it and seeing what information you can get. Isn't that what chain analysis is doing? Uh, in in some respects, I think like chain analysis is going to be being able to like say deterministically that, or you know, with with some conviction that hey, this is nefarious activity that's happening, um, and be able to block transactions because of it, uh, or you know, go pursue an an arrest of something. Uh, what we're dealing with on Amboss is all public information uh but but we are uh you know tracking changes to to nodes in a time series fashion so like as as routing nodes like we find that information really important uh because how has a node performed over time uh i think the routing nodes are our customers so being able to deliver information that that they care about um from both a economic perspective and a social perspective, those are those are key motivators for for what we're doing. Um, and we get a lot of support from like the routing node communities. So like those are those are our customers. That's where we're getting funding. Um, and uh, you know, I'm uh, we do want to be able to provide additional information that that isn't. Uh, just available publicly i think that's like key for from a, a business perspective um and and developing developing those things is is pretty important um because you do want to have some additional a competitive edge as a as a routing node so so we will be like developing uh some of those things that would be able to piece together some transaction or, or flow information uh but it's uh, it's really important to us that we're not taking information without without users' consent, and that goes for um, the analytics uh, that we're using to to visit the site. So, say for example, One ML uses Google Analytics, which is uh, pretty privacy invasive, whereas uh, we we don't have very detailed analytics on the users of our site, um, and like a bunch of users uh, try to they, they use our, our site uh, via Tor. So it's it's important to us that the privacy of the users be, be protected um, and not 
try and dive into their details and say what they're doing is nefarious. Just want to let you know that the J plus one is shouting you, uh, is shouting out Amboss on YouTube. Has been such a great tool for us node runners. Awesome. So thanks, thanks for using the platform. Uh, yeah, I, I have, I'm such a fan of our users. Uh, it's it's been really fun to to be leading this. So that's that's one thing that I want to go ahead and kind of ask about. So, you know, one ML is known for kind of recording your your lightning node alias over time. And, you know, back when uh, people were first starting their lightning nodes, maybe when Casa had their node out at first, uh, people would just go name their thing, you know, my name is my full name is Bob Smith. Let me name my node that, and you know, uh, uh, attach it to my home internet address or my my home IP address. Um, and so, you know, everyone's happy now. And then, you know, next week they realize that uh, that's not private, so they change their node name to, you know, bcashsucks.com, uh, whatever, um, and. But because of 1ML, you can go back and look at the history of, oh, that's what their IP address used to be. That's their home address before they got Tor capability. Oh, and his name is Bob Smith. I know exactly who that is. I can go over here and da 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 da. So, you know, is there. Is there more gotchas on on kind of just basic privacy things on the Lightning Network that, you know, the absolute newbie is going to kind of get themselves shot in the foot over, you know, especially with these, you know, websites like 1ML and Boss that kind of record information over time? It's a, it's a good point. Um, like 1ML is is gathering public information that your node is is broadcasting over over gossip so uh be particularly mindful of uh the like as always uh be be mindful about the information that you're broadcasting and for one that would be your alias um and also like your node public key so uh i think common sense um which i'm hoping is is uh is common enough but but please don't put any private information as as your alias um and uh if possible use tor to run your your lightning network node um it's you can still be a very competitive node by by using by using tor um so that that way will protect your IP address. And uh, if you can avoid putting private information in your alias, uh, that would that would help uh, protect the privacy of your node. Now, if you, for some reason, uh, mess up and maybe put your seed phrase as your alias, um, I might recommend that you shut down your, your node immediately um, and uh, protect those funds. Uh, if you do make a, a mistake and you put something in your alias, you know, like you can come talk to us uh, at 
at Amboss in our Telegram chat or reach out via email if you want. Um, and you can say, hey, uh, I, I messed up and I shouldn't have put that private information in the in the alias. And, and we could uh, delete that from your history. However, um, one, we want to keep the information intact as much as possible. And two, uh, everyone else on the network also has that information if they're maintaining a database of this. Um, and anyone can do that. Uh, they don't have to make it public like uh, like 1ML. Uh, anyone can run a database and start recording this information. But it is a, a, a bit costly to do. So uh, keep that in mind that while we might be able to delete it from our database and not make it public, uh, anyone else could still maintain that data. Yeah, good point there. Um, so kind of moving beyond kind of that here, um, I might actually do a quick ad read, guys, so don't kill me. Um, I'm just gonna talk about Lightning Junkies really fast here. Lightning Junkies is the best Lightning Network podcast in the two universes. We're probably going to take the rest of the year off after this today, um, but we will return in 2022, maybe with a third show that we'll be launching at that point. Um, we uh, Lightning Friday is also hosted by Zeus Wallet. Uh, Zeus Wallet is a mobile wallet that would allow you to use whatever Lightning Network node you might have. So if you have C Lightning, LND, Eclair, or if you're even rocking LND Hub, you can actually grab Zeus on iOS, Android, and be able to access uh, your home node and be able to make good use of it. Um, Zeus and Evan are doing a lot of work on getting it to look a lot better and to add functionality. Right now, we're, uh, he's adding NFT, I'm sorry, NFC capability, not NFT, not NFT. Um, <laughs> he's he's going to kill me. Uh, we added NFC capability. So uh, eventually you'll be able to just scan a lightning invoice with your phone and not have to worry about that bright uh, El Zante sun uh, making it so you can't scan your QR codes. Um, and I think we already talked about Amboss.Space, the best Lightning Network Explorer out there. So if you need a Lightning Network Explorer, don't bother with any of the other guys, Amboss.Space. Okay, that was, our, that was our ad read. That was pretty fast, right? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure if I had too much else on my side. Did you have anything else on your side or did the audience have any questions or comments about uh, chain analysis, about lightning network privacy or anything like that? All right, looking pretty good on that front. Uh, I did want to uh, share a bit about LNURL. I was, uh, let's see, uh, Carrot is is working on adding LNURL functionality uh, to their platform. And uh, maybe, uh, yeah, quick quick shill. Um, let's see, I I, I do work on a uh, for for Carrot. Uh, 
part-time to help run their routing node and, and deal with payment failures. Um, and uh, it, it is a cool way to be able to actually like read articles. Uh, so you can download the Carrot app and be able to like read Bitcoin Magazine articles and you get paid some sats for doing that. Um, and there's also Carrot codes that, that you can get and redeem for, for sats. So it's a, it's a pretty cool platform. I've really been enjoying uh, getting people started on it. You know, my mom, for example, she's she's reading articles uh, using the app and getting paid in some stats. Um, so pretty, pretty cool platform. But uh, in doing that, I was testing out LNURL um, and seeing which which uh, which wallets are actually capable of of dealing with LNURL. And I found out that there's actually a whole bunch of them. Uh, so I was using like Blue Wallet and Moon and Phoenix. And uh, and also I was really pleasantly surprised to see that Zeus already has LNURL functionality. So I was able to scan um, an LNURL and and pay it uh, from using my, my uh, non-custodial node that was connected to with with zeus and be able to pay things so really really cool i just wanted to share that while uh while we're waiting to see if anybody wants to join and ask a question so well just to kind of keep going with that a little bit um there's multiple different ways a wallet could be compatible with lnurl you could have lnurl pay lnurl uh withdrawal i believe lnurl uh off i believe um and maybe a couple others that are in my mind a bit here yeah yeah i think there's i think those are the three that that come to mind first um so i was uh i believe i was using the the pay functionality so that enables me to actually scan a static qr code um and be able to get an invoice to pay uh thanks to that ln url whereas before what you would need to do is generate an invoice manually and send that to the person that wants to pay you uh, just in order to, to receive that, those funds. Uh, whereas LNURL kind of makes it so that you're connect, you're communicating with a server and can generate an, an invoice on the, on the fly. Um, so you don't have to have a separate conversation just to get an invoice to pay. So a uh, huge improvement as far as uh, user experience goes. And I guess since we're talking about um, LNURL, we might as well mention Lightning Address. That was the last major episode of Lightning Junkies was with um, Andre and Fiat Jaff, um, who are both working on Lightning Address and LNURL. Um, and, you know, adding all this functionality in there. Uh, so if anyone's not aware what Lightning Address is, that's basically a way to kind of give your, to have an alias uh, that you can use um, instead of using a, a, a large string. You can just use, you know, for example, chaz at lightningjunkies.net, and that will, you know, send some stats over. Technically, I think it's chaz at btcpay.lightningjunkies.net. 
because it's hard to get the exact uh, domain that you want if you're using your subdomain to access your PTCP server, you know. Anyway, um, I, I really like a Lightning Address for that uh, reason, that you don't need to worry about invoices in that way, that again, just like with what you're talking about with LNURL pay, a, a invoice is grabbed on the fly whenever you use Lightning address and all that stuff is handled between the servers that are kind of involved there. Kind um, can, can handles it all for you. So that's kind of nice. I really like the, the kind of continually added functionality, user-friendly functionality. Um, you'll hear in that episode that I've, I have talked shit about aliasing uh, stuff for years. I'm sure you guys have heard of NetKey. And if you heard, if you haven't, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of shit. So don't worry about it. Um, uh, very, very shit cornery. Uh, you'll see them at all the conferences though, and you'll never know why they're still there. Um, but that's pretty much it as far as LNURL and Lightning address goes. Um, I'm probably going to put out another, uh, you know, if anyone else has any questions or any comments, either here or on YouTube, please let us know. We might go for another 10, 15 minutes, but I think we might uh, we might call it here because it looks like we're kind of running out of steam on our main topic here. Yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm pretty bullish on people actually joining directly to Lightning now. Um, just uh, I. I managed to get both of my parents on onto lightning uh, this week. So that was, that was pretty exciting. I had gotten them wallets before and having them have to write down like 12 words and there were a ton of questions. So that like that setup probably took an hour because there were a lot of questions, but, uh, but directly to lightning, that was, that was quick. That was, that was exciting. You know, it's like copy this code down, uh, just, just text it to yourself. I get them started on a custodial wallet, but you know, it's uh, yeah, you got to start someplace, but it was pretty cool because the user experience is really, really improving. Thanks to LNURL, lightning address. And yeah, now we can have static QR codes. And also uh, maybe what you didn't highlight about lightning address is like, this thing is human readable. So you can, write this down you can memorize it whereas you can't memorize that an actual uh lightning invoice or an ln url um but just having that human readable stuff is great sometimes i wonder you know like that, that the whole idea of having my parents actually use bitcoin and lightning makes me want to jump out the closest fucking window because my dad regularly calls me with help for emailing stuff and like so kind of walk us through that a little bit because i'm i'm kind of curious to know was it was it a kind of very scary experience like are you thinking oh man, they're going to lose all their Bitcoin because they're going to take, you know, make this mistake or that mistake, what have you. Um, yeah, I think, you know, part of the motivation for me is just making sure that uh, if something ever happens to me, God forbid, that they would be able to uh, recover the the funds that I, I've, you know, uh, accumulated. So, and be able to like, 
carry on with 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 my Bitcoin. Uh, but uh, so so having that initial conversation about like inheritance, I think that was the big motivator for talking to them about on-chain addresses and holding your own keys and this type of thing. But uh, when it comes to Lightning, like we're dealing with small funds. So like, this is just going to be a fun exercise. Like, Hey, can I show you this really cool thing? Now, uh, like my, my parents tend to be the ones that are reading, um, end user license agreements and saying, Oh, wait a second. What are all these permissions that I have to give them? So, uh, initially I made the mistake of, of trying to get them signed up with an exchange. So that involved like a whole bunch of the KYC steps, which is like the most awkward part of getting people started with Bitcoin, because, you know, here you want to tell them about all this permissionless nature of things. Um, and then uh, and then like like all this unstoppable currency stuff. And then like as part of the process, you tell them, oh, yeah, well, now is where you scan your driver's license. And it's like, excuse me, what? I have to put down my social security number and date of birth and do all this, all the KYC process. And that's, that should not be part of like the Bitcoin experience because you want to be able to like have uh, this like secret savings account if you want, um, or like just program whatever you want and have this unstoppable money that no one needs to know about. And like, you don't want anybody getting into your business. So, um, going through the KYC process was not where I should have started. Um, I've had good experiences before where I'll have someone buy me a beer and I'll just pay them for the beer using Bitcoin. And, uh, while I'm drinking that, that beer, then I can, uh, like set them up with a wallet and, and pay them for, for it or for half of it, whatever the deal may be. Um, so, so that's, that's probably been my, my best experience. Um, but for the for the lightning stuff, uh, I did want to demonstrate how you can fluidly move from like I can pay dollars, you can receive it as sats. And uh, what I what I witnessed in El Salvador was uh, other currencies are going to be um, uh, other companies are going to be enabling other currencies. So you could be able to switch from dollars to other currencies. And I'll I'll just. Uh, leave that as a, as a teaser, but that's coming. Um, and I, I did want to demonstrate that, that technology and be able to tell them like, Hey, maybe all of your, uh, bank stocks that you are holding on to, like, maybe they're going to have to contend with this technology developing and developing rapidly that has a far better user experience than any, uh, bank account setup. Like you don't have to be sat down in this in this chair and talk to a banker and and uh, fill out all these forms. Like no, it's just download an app, copy this code to yourself, and uh, start receiving and transacting. Um, I'm curious if like the next generation is gonna experience um, just downloading Thunder games. Uh, they just came out with a, another a new game which I've been having some fun with just a, a bubble type game, a bubble shooter, uh, but getting paid in sats to play, uh, this, this cutesy game is, uh, is a blast. So 
I, I hope that that will be the experience of the future where people are just joining directly into Lightning and then they can uh, learn all the detailed um, security pieces to actually protect this really valuable commodity that they're holding on to. What do you think is the best way to onboard new people like your parents that may not have, you know, all the, the conviction and all the technology knowledge behind them? You know, what is the best use case to get them onboarded and actually get them using it and not just, oh, that's cool and never look at it again type thing? Uh, maybe for for parents that's tough because uh you know they're not not into exactly the same stuff but i did print out um an ln url for uh for my parents um i got my uh got my mom onto telegram and so with the lntx bot if you just start a conversation it will generate an ln url for you so i was telling them like hey if you want to just like receive tips or um, say, for example, you are a barista or someone and uh, you want to print out a static QR code and then you can just receive Bitcoin tips uh, by by displaying this. So they just saw it as pretty like a cool way. So uh, I'm going around this a weird way, but I got them started with Blue Wallet. It's like just start them off custodial. I just need the easiest user experience possible. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, Blue Wallet has the like absolute easiest user experience. I haven't tried out Simple Bitcoin Wallet or that uh, Simple Lightning Wallet. I forget the name of it, um, but I think that's the next one I want to try. Uh, I've I've gone through several of them. Wallet of Satoshi is also very easy to use, um, but uh, I really like the Blue Wallet notifications. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure how how simple simple Bitcoin wallet is. I downloaded it and its its interface makes me want to cry a bit. Sorry, Anton, but uh, it does. Um, but I mean, I think it's a pretty interesting topic. Um, oh, what was that app where you read news and earn sets? I think you know what that one is. I totally forget which one that is. Uh, Someone just asked that on our YouTube. Sorry. Yeah, Carrot. Um, so you can go to earncarrot.com. And uh, disclosure, I do work for them. Uh, but uh, I've, you know, I have been enjoying using the app. And you can read the Bitcoin Magazine articles or uh, whatever articles show up there and start receiving some sats. Thank you. That was uh, Griffin Schwab asked that on YouTube. I appreciate your question there, Griffin. Um, but yeah, like the topic is just getting people onboarded directly onto Lightning. Um, I feel like that for the majority of me having Lightning Junkies the show, the answer has kind of continued to be things like Fold. I'm not sure if they're really a good answer anymore since I don't think you can really use a Lightning network going into them, at least not with Amazon anymore. And that's that was one of the easier you know, onboarding tools, but I think maybe at this point getting someone, getting someone onboarded to strike again, KYC less than ideal, but I think at least, at least they only do like KYC. They don't ask for actual ID 
as far as I remember. Um, and then from there, you use bit refill and boom, you get 5% savings on, or I mean 6% if you include the 1% on the bit refill side. So you save 6% on Amazon, even more right now, I think on Instacart, I think they're doing a 15% on Instacart on BitRefill. Um, so there's like, I think that's the easiest way for me to onboard people or I've been trying to onboard people that way, being like, you can save money if you use the Lightning Network. You don't need to care about Bitcoin. You don't need to you know, engage in all the ideology that Bitcoiners might have. Just buy some Bitcoin, use it to save some money and you're good. And that's all you need to worry about and just let that wash over you kind of thing. Man, at my last uh, fiat job, I was uh, I I actually set up a, a Bitcoin store. Um, so I was just like selling produce right like right there in the office, and I had a a static QR code with a, a Bitcoin address. Um, and I I just I just put on there like here's like here's our store. You can put cash here, but I'll give you ten percent off if you pay in Bitcoin. Um, and it got so many people asking questions um, and I did get several people to set up wallets. But then uh, after that, everyone was, uh, you know, making fun of me as the, the Bitcoin guy. Um, and uh, I, I remember um, like coming back from getting coffee and they're like, oh, did you buy that with Bitcoin? And uh, and I got to say like, oh, <laughs> yeah, actually, because um, I spent lightning and got the Starbucks gift card and yeah, but they don't even know that, that you're spending Bitcoin, but you are saving money by doing that. Um, so like just getting exposure uh, to to Bitcoin and and through the Lightning Network, you can actually uh, get quite a bit of savings. Um, and that's like before you in, even get into like Bitcoin as savings, um, you can simply use the, the monetary network and be able to experience some of the benefits of of this technology. Yeah, like I think we've gone over this before that custodial wallets obviously aren't our favorite. We would prefer if everyone was using, you know, their own node with Zeus wallet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think the just getting people off of zero is a very important piece to this. Um, saying like, hey dad, you have to run your own node. Oh, you wanna uh, run Wall of Satoshi? You're a piece of shit, get away from me. No, that's, that's, that's silly um, and you know, we need to be friendly to new people. We need to be open. And even if that means them using less than optimal tools, you know, like I said earlier, my dad has trouble like sending emails sometimes. So I wouldn't want to give him his own node, you know, uh, like one of his first uh, activities getting on the internet was finding a fake, uh, like a scam Jordan's website and ordering scam Jordans that were the wrong size when he got them. Um, and so that's kind of like a, a learning case there, right? Like where, okay, I am not gonna touch that line again. I'm not gonna get shocked by touching the outlet with wet hands again, whatever. Um, so, 
as much as, as I don't like these kind of less than ideal tools, you know, I have to admit that they're very good at onboarding people. Like that's, that's basically where I got started on the podcast was I invited, you know, a lot of the custodial wallet people amongst fold and bit refill to ask them about these things. Cause, Cause I still kind of see them as being the best hope to onboard millions of people in a short period of time and get them more acclimatized to this technology, like buying your friend a, a modem in the late nineties so they could, you know, jump on the internet, you know, or even getting them like an AOL disc, you know, anything just to get them on the internet and get them off zero kind of thing. I love it. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of just uh, give them an easy start, and then as soon as they're uh, as soon as they're started, then they might start to come back to you with questions and say, "Hey, like, oh, can I send this to my uh, other wallet?" Or, um, "Well, I heard about I heard about this this other uh, service. Is is Lolly a good thing? Or uh, is Fold?" Like what, what are those? Um, and so getting to entertain those questions in the future is, is always nice. Um, if you, if you can just start them off in a very easy, simple way and say like, Hey, I'm starting you off on a custodial, uh, wallet, but, but you can grow from here. Um, now, now you're already started, but, uh, you can take more responsibility as you, as you learn more and be able to hold your own keys, get a hardware wallet, this type of thing. But, but that's uh, for the future. You can just start now. So one last topic on this topic before I move on here. Um, so like, for example, your parents here, just to kind of use them as easy guinea pigs for this question. Um, do you think that you would in the future, let's say they get super interested in Lightning, but just generally aren't interested in running their own node. Um, what what do you think the intermediate step is between those two worlds? Like they don't want Wallet of Satoshi to hold their money anymore. What would their next move be? Uh, it's so funny because my mom actually said she wanted to run a node the other day. Um, and I was pleased as punch. Uh, it's part of this like, 21 days of Bitcoin reading stuff. I, I, it's one of those uh, Bitcoin magazine things, but but basically she's going through this 21 days experience and, and reading about uh, what are nodes, what are miners, this type of thing. That thing has been amazing. It's like, it's slowly orange pilling her, which I couldn't do over like three years of talking about this stuff nonstop. Um, but the, the intermediate step I would probably, it would probably be like Blue Wallet or some custodial lightning. And then I would go like, man, I don't know if you would go on chain from there. Well, well, Blue, Blue Wallet also has on chain and that's non-custodial. Um, now, I think the next step is probably a hardware wallet or get them started like buying, uh, buying Bitcoin. Um, so Swan was a, a pretty easy onboarding. I think River might be uh, oriented more towards like a traditional um, banking experience. So that might be better for like an older crowd. 
Um, and then from there, it's like, okay, you're, you're bought in, like you, you understand that like this technology is pretty cool. Um, and maybe much better than anything you've, uh, experienced in the traditional finance system. So maybe you want to help contribute to making this infrastructure even more, even more valuable, um, and kind of increase the value of your asset just by improving the infrastructure around it. Um, so that's where you're going to contribute by, by running a node, you're going to be opening channels in the lightning network. Um, and yeah, uh, just getting connected, which is, there's sort of like a, a social element to it. And, um, it's kind of, uh, the, the, the golden goose for me. Um, yeah, I, I just love watching the nodes interact, um, open channels to each other and develop their own personalities. So that's, that's what, where it gets really fun for me, um, as someone that just loves networks. Alrighty. This is going to be the super promised last call for questions and or comments. If you'd like to ask a question, feel free to ask for speaker privileges or just ask your question on the YouTube. Um, I think we're going to be wrapping up here if we don't get anything. I think that this was a very good conversation. Um, it, it's sad that we missed out on Evan, but uh, I hear he's having a good time right now. So that's all that really matters, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish I could be enjoying that uh, that with him. Um, I, yeah, I heard he was uh, going to be sliding down a mountain or something. So... Uh, hope he's having a great time, but, uh, Chaz, I think you did a great job hosting. Thanks for leading this conversation. This was awesome. Absolutely. Um, so it looks like, uh, no one's, uh, scrambling to get on stage or asking questions at this point. So it looks like this shall be the end of lightning Friday. Um, I don't think we're going to be back next week. There's a chance but it's pretty much a 0% chance. So we're not gonna be back next week, don't bother. Um, <laughs> there's a small chance we'll be back on the 31st, but you know these Fridays happening on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve make them very unlikely days for these kinds of conversations. Uh, I think me and Kat are gonna be doing some food cooking, doing a brisket maybe. So we'll have to start that a couple days early. Um, but I think we're going to go ahead and end the show there. Uh, thank you, Jester, for showing up. Thank you, Evan, for not. For now, I will see you all on the Lightning Network. <laughs>